You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here uh, today by calling in the helping spirits to join us. So I call out first to your ancestral helping spirits and to mine. I call out to those people who lived well and died well, who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us in that legacy. And I ask these ancestral helping spirits to help us to use that legacy to learn from those who have gone before us to understand the deep and timeless practices that help human beings to stand in a good way in their lives, to meet the challenges their time offers them, and to innovate and create where necessary. And I ask these um, helping spirits to stand with the living, to help us to do that which we are each asked to do for those who are coming. And I reach out through those human ancestors, since we've all been here for such a very short time, relatively speaking, to those ancestral energies of life who were here long before anyone ever dreamt up a human. So I call out to those ancestral energies, those non-human ancestors, and ask them to help us to surrender ever more fully to our own true nature, to understand the deep and essential heartfelt gifts that we each bring, and to remember how to be a better human, And to really do what it is that we are called to do in this great web of life. And to do so in a way that supports the diversity and the lives of other living things here. Let us walk a bit more softly. And go about our business in a way that we remember that we are brothers and sisters with all that is here around us all the time. And I ask these ancestral helping spirits to stand with us as well, to help us, the collective living, to do what must be done for life here on earth. And as these ancestral helping spirits gather around here today, let us gather ourselves. Let's take some responsibility for being a human and call our awareness back from the many multitasking things it's most likely doing at this point in time, given our contemporary lives. And take a nice deep breath and call your energy back into your mind. From your mind to your heart, and in the next breath, from the heart to the belly. And take a moment, just a moment, and do one thing. Just let your heartfelt gratitude pour out to the earth itself and give thanks for this day. Thanks for your life. Whatever it's been that has brought you to this moment, whatever is and whatever will be, just gratitude for life. We give thanks for the generosity in the dreaming of life here on this planet that allows us to change anything as long as we are still breathing. And let us also give thanks to the energy of the earth for the wonder and the miracle and the mystery of life. And may we be ever so grateful for the great mystery here that is not to be solved and how it keeps us in the wonderful spiritual state of curiosity and blessing. 
And so with curiosity and blessing and gratitude in our hearts, let us reach our energy down through all the layers of the earth, letting our gratitude pour out as we go heading down and down and down into the very center of the earth. And let's take a moment there in the center of the earth to connect with the energy that supports everything, that which is before abundance that which is before the many manifestations of life here on earth, that which sustains and nourishes, replenishes, and re-inspires life. Let's connect into this energy that is dark and still and silent and not yet happening. And reach deeply into that energy and begin to draw it up into our body, into our day, into these proceedings, drawing this energy up through all the layers of the earth, into our bodies, into our hearts, into our minds. We call this energy up. We call up all the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form in a good way. It's a daily challenge. We ask the energies of the earth to help us to understand how to ground ourselves, how to understand where we stand and what we stand for, and to build the foundation of our life on these things that have meaning and purpose for us, that which has value to our hearts. And when we build our sense of home and belonging, create a home that has a true sense of hearth and a threshold that we can open to invite in those who are other than we are, not just friends and family and those who think precisely the way we do, but to those who are just a bit different. And we call these energies in, that we might be provoked by the conversations we would never have had had we not opened our hearts, so that we might become the men and women we are truly meant to be. And as we draw these energies in, let us learn how to be in right relationship, in connection and interconnection with all the facets of ourself, in healthy connection with our environment, with the other people and living things around us, and with the invisible world. And as we learn about connection and interconnection, may we be blessed each day with a moment of being connected and feel our place in that great web of life. And to take our right relationship with ourself from that place in all things. Let's reach our energy up from our head out into the sky. Drawing this earth energy up with us as we rise up through the sky in whatever weather it holds for you here today. Out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos. And all the way beyond whatever limitations you perceive and all the way up to the highest power of the universe in whatever way you understand this energy or wish that you did let us reach into it to connect ourselves to it and it to us to see ourselves reflected there and to begin to draw this radiant energy from above down into ourselves into our day into these proceedings and in this way we call in all the wisdom of the cosmos we draw down the energy of blessing and protection We draw down the energy of commitment and devotion and we ask these energies from above to help us to do a better job bringing these energies into our life in a good way. We call in inspiration and illumination. We call in these energies that come from the feeling the benevolence and the beneficence of our universe. Let us open to these vast energies and draw them in, into our head, down into our heart, down into our belly and all the way down to the center of the earth. And in this way, we connect the energies from above and below, these two great legendary lovers. We call on that big love that is created when we bring these energies together and acknowledge that wholeness, 
that big love and we ask that energy to awaken the spirit of our own hearts and may our hearts come alive here today it is another day another opportunity to do what you've come here to do and to find that let us awaken the crucible in the heart and call up the fiery passions of the belly the soul's reason for being here and call down the crystal clarity of the mind which our intelligence and our focus our ability to see what's going on around us and perceive to discern and to make a choice we call these energies into our heart as different as they are and allow them to dance together and in that dynamic tension to give birth to the third and most sacred thing some sense some memory some understanding of why you are here and may you find in your beautiful heart the courage that you need to do something in this day large or small to bring those gifts in your heart into manifestation in the world and so for all the spirit help that we all have to do exactly that I give great gratitude May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things I would like to give um, special thanks to Tiffany and Elizabeth Julia Jolene Adrian and Julia to Julia's and all of the listeners who have donated to the show uh, I am deeply grateful for those of you that help uh, the show, for those of you who don't know, is listener supported. Um, all that is donated to the show goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And this allows us to pay the bills so that the archives of the show can be available all over the internet for anyone who can get on the internet and are accessed by people all around the globe. I just recently got a email of gratitude to someone in Buenos Aires. That was the first one. Um, so thank you for helping me do the show and keep it out there in the world. We give thanks to Co-Creator Network for all that they do to help us keep the show alive and in the world. If this show moves you in any way, even if it moves you to frustration, we're talking about cults today, that ought to irritate some people. Um, <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully clarify things for some others. Um, if it moves you, though, please do that most fundamental of shamanic things, to, to learn to live our life so that what moves our heart is motivating our actions. And to do something to help the show to grow, if you cannot donate financially, um, do something else. Um, use what you learn here today, uh, bring it into your journey circles, bring it into your shamanic practice, help it to grow, help it to grow stronger, come up with great questions, um, send them in, show ideas, um, and share. Spread the word. Uh, share the shows with a comment. That's always helpful. And uh, just do whatever you can do to help the show to grow and to stay relevant and to be strong. And for all that happens uh to make the show what it is here today, like uh, seven years in, um, I'm grateful. We are live today, so if you have any questions about today's topic, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938. Almost got that memorized after seven years. Um, and you can Skype in for the co-creatornetwork.com site. And you are welcome to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. That is also where you could be to send that to you. All right, as promised today, cults and shamanism. And this is another show that is a response to a listener's questions. So cult, a cult, technically, is a system of veneration or devotion, usually religious, that is directed toward a particular figure or object or 
doctrine, perhaps. The practice of this devotion can be beneficial or harmful, technically speaking. So what makes the difference between a cult that benefits its followers and one that betrays and causes harm? Is there a difference between a shamanic community and a cult? And what are the fundamental differences between cults that facilitate well-being and those that are ultimately dangerous to the mental and spiritual health of their devotees? So, listener who inspired this show wrote, I've seen and experienced several cults and cult-like businesses based on energy. How can we discern between cults and shamanism? Now, I have to admit, I have avoided doing this show for seven years. Because it's really hard to talk about things you personally find obvious. Because you really have to dig into your brain and break down a thought process that happens so fast for you that you don't know you're thinking it. But obviously, with the prevalence of cults, this isn't an obvious thing. And I'm not saying that makes me special. It's just I've never been a good follower. The whole religion thing never took very well when I was a child. This is just something that kind of rolls off my duck back. And so I've really had to think through this for today's show. So hopefully I did a good job. I'm not really sure. Again, because I lack a certain attraction, I think, to the whole cult thing. You know, I'm not a good fangirl, all that kind of stuff. I'm just kind of ordinary. So what about this whole cult and shamanism thing? So part of the issue is this. First off, we have to define what a cult is. So originally, the word cult simply referred to a system of religious veneration and devotion towards this particular figure or object. It didn't have a negative or pejorative context at all. It just meant there was that cult over there and that version over there. It was like flavors of ice cream, basically. Um, but today, particularly in the United States, cult, the word cult has certainly take, taken on a derogatory um, connotation. And uh, that's not necessarily the case, though, in all English-speaking countries. And so that's kind of a tricky thing with our global connection now is um, just because an article is written in English and uses the word cult, it doesn't necessarily have a negative slant if it's not being written by an American, essentially. So it's a, it's a slippery fish, this whole cult thing. Um, but in the context of the listener's questions – she is really asking about cults from um, an American perspective, which is the cults that do harm. So today, you know, it's interesting even Googling on the internet here in the United States. I realize it's different depending on what country you're Googling in. But anyway, um, cult in its most general definition means a small religious group that is not part of a larger and more accepted religion and that has beliefs regarded by many people as extreme or dangerous. So, therefore, no longer a neutral definition, extreme or dangerous. It can also mean a situation in which people admire and care about something or someone very much or too much. So this would be um, a cult of personality or a cult of charisma is what this is often referred to. It's not so much about uh, religion or a religious some take on a religious doctrine, but it's about a person. Um, and then there's also – it could also be a small group of very devoted and supportive fans. <laughs> so, um, but this is not really the cult that we have to worry about. I don't think you know fans of um, 
I don't know, Patrick Stewart um, and any sort of cultish following or um, cult movies that have a following. I don't really think we have to worry about those cults. I think that's all in good fun. So, And that's not really what the listener is asking about. So the issue with the whole thing today is discerning whether or not a particular group's beliefs and practices are sufficiently deviant or novel or dangerous is unclear. And thus making this precise definition of cult in and of itself very problematic. Okay. Nonetheless, this issue is important because it touches on questions of religion and individual freedom, civil liberties, leadership and power, group dynamics, communications and the power of persuasion. And these things are all very much a part of our contemporary life, um, even more so now perhaps than in the past. These um, systems of spinning information and manipulating information and advertising and um, manipulating people's free-floating anxiety is, um, is really has been raised at this time to a high art form. And so this whole cult thing is problematic, especially – when we talk about the vulnerable people in our culture. So one group of vulnerable people are teens who are seeking, which is natural for that time. Their brains are addled by strong hormones they don't yet know what to do with. Many of them are eating really terrible diets and then many of them are using drugs. And so they're very vulnerable to manipulation and persuasion as are people whose excessive seeking is being driven by an unacknowledged or unrecognized level of soul loss. So that kind of person who's seeking, 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 and not realizing that that never finding isn't because they're not finding good things, but because what they're seeking is a loss of their own soul. It needs to be dealt with as a shamanic healing experience, not as constant seeking. Another issue is just simply people that feel deeply lost in today's culture because of all the many ways the culture has failed us at the great thresholds of life, birth and initiation into adulthood um, and then supporting people in their passing. There are people that are just wrecked by the burden that is placed on individuals when a culture doesn't do a culture's job very well. And the pro the reason it's such a burden on the individual is individuals can't do it for the most part. It's the rare individual who can initiate themselves. So my point is lots of vulnerable people. So what is a cult matters. And this is partly why I decided to actually do the show because I realized this is a much bigger deal. Just because I'm too ornery <laughs> doesn't mean there aren't a lot of really vulnerable people that can certainly be swayed and influenced by the these um, – by cults. Now, it's a shady area, right? Because some cults are actually really helpful. You know, So what is odd for one person is normal for another. A religion that really supports one person may utterly fail another. I mean, human beings are this big, wonderful, diverse, dysfunctional family. And we have to find the heart and to repair the soul of that family. I mean, that's that's really the level we're talking on because let's face it, the, the underlying impulse into a cult is a lack of family that is supporting the development, the 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 emotional, psychological and spiritual development of the individual. 
and that that's the this this impulse this need to belong to find your family and belong is is a base impulse and um so we need to deal with the big dysfunctional family of humanity here which is a little bit a little bit of a big topic for an hour podcast so we'll dial back to cults here okay so um Philip Zimbardo seems to actually have written or spoken on TED Talks a fair amount about this kind of thing. He's an American psychologist. And he was one of the very few interesting quotes that I actually found about cults. And his response was, a good cult delivers on its promises. So this is the kind of cult that actually is helpful for its devotees. So it delivers on its promises. A good good cult nourishes the needs of its members. It has transparency and integrity, and it creates provisions for challenging its leadership openly. A good cult expands the freedoms and the well-being of its members rather than limits them. I pretty much like that definition. So basically then it stands to reason that a problematic cult, a harmful cult, the ones that make us feel nervous when our friends start talking about their connection to them and the ones who have activities that feel off to us, that feel cultish or the ones that seem to draw the vulnerable in, what's the difference? So what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about them doing basically the opposite of what Um, Zimbardo's definition says. So the organization promises one thing but creates another so it doesn't actually deliver. But it's constantly marketing, advertising in such a way that you never get to address the fact that it's not really delivering. Okay, the needs of the organization are met at the expense, sometimes quite literally, of the needs of the members. I mean, how many of you have emailed me, what do I do about my friend? They just gave away their entire life savings to this spiritual organization they just joined. I mean, how often is is the, the join at entirely at your own expense, a, a piece of these organizations? The next thing would be that the perceived needs of the members are exploited in ways that keep them needy. So the needs are not met. The cult isn't nourishing the needs of its members and allowing them to grow um, and no longer have those needs. But the cult is actually um, exploiting those needs and in that uh, illusion of meeting the needs, keeping the people needy. The other thing about a harmful cult is um, there's this presentation of transparency that is false. Um, so it would be like studying with someone and being present uh, with an organization or a person and being presented with what, what you think the financial situation is, where you think your money's going, only to find out later something else is going on. So it's a false sense of transparency and also a false sense of integrity. And what's interesting about cults, I think, is often the members to to be included in the group your integrity has to be absolute you know the threat of um excommunication or abandonment is um really strong often in harmful cults and so your you know the the devotees uh behavior has to show absolute integrity to whatever the dogma is but the organization constantly gets off the hook around its 
lack of integrity, its leaders' lack of integrity, its leaders' lack of financial integrity. I mean, whatever it might be. Um, the other thing about um, a harmful cult is that challenging the leadership is not allowed, either outright or it's not actually allowed. You know, there's lip service to it being allowed, but if you actually do challenge the leadership, there are all of these subtle, emotional, psychological, or even not so subtle in some cults, um, ways of um, backlash or outright attack. Um, there's a lot on the internet right now in a particular organization where if you even question the leader, you're immediately attacked by everybody in social media and otherwise about how – well, everything. You know, you're, you're mentally ill, you're this, you're that. You know, it's um, – that is actually probably one of the biggest red flags I would say in any organization, cult or otherwise – if the leader is not a strong enough leader to be questioned by the followers, they shouldn't be leading, and you should not be following. That's one of the biggest red flags, I think, out there. Um, and so it, remember in Zimbardo's quote, he's saying um, that the cult itself, a good cult, pro, uh, creates provision. So there is a, 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 an established means by which – someone has no rank, privilege, and power in the organization can question the authority of the organization and do so without repercussions, that it can be considered um, a valid um, question to be addressed in a, in a respectful way. Okay. And then finally, I think one of the big signs of a cult is in spite of what's being said, what's being advertised, what the, what the message is – that the freedom of the members grows steadily more limited. And, and I mean that within the realm of healthy behaviors, right? Because if you're joining a 12-step program, your behavior is limited, right? It's restricted. You're not supposed to be drinking anymore, whatever the thing is you're wanting to recover from. So that in and of itself, what I'm really talking about is not restriction around unhealthy behaviors, things that are that are already distracting you from living your soul's purpose but your freedom to live your soul's purpose to identify it to believe you have one to go forward in a way that allows you to manifest that soul's purpose those freedoms are limited um to, to greater and lesser degrees but but they shouldn't be limited at all. I mean any organization that limits your steps towards your soul's purpose is by definition problematic. So that's a big red flag in my book as well. Okay. So back to our listener's email. She says, we know that popular cults um, – and I'm quoting from the email – as seen on TV, I believe the latest one was about a cult leader that killed his followers with cyanide, that this is an extreme case, that there are benign cults such as 12-step programs and ones that are of concern are much more covert or they become a cult of personality over time within the perception of the group members. So these are the the cults that she's really questioning would be these harmful cults, pretty much I'm hoping as we've kind of defined them so far today on the show. Okay, so she says, what makes shamanism a hollow bone and not a cult? And all together now, nothing. <laughs> nothing necessarily make shamanism just because it's supposedly shamanism not cultish 
because human beings, I don't know, how many times have I said this on shows, right? Human beings can turn absolutely anything into an addiction. And they can create in any relationship, as healthy as it begins, some sort of dependency or codependency, passive-aggressive behavior. I mean, our capacity to ruin a good thing is monumental, right? And it's, it's, a, it's a gross misuse of our fabulous creativity. So the fact that it's shamanic doesn't make it a hollow bone. It doesn't even make it healthy because humans are involved. And humans are capacity to turn a quality of relationship into something that is harmful is uh, um, astounding. So the point is we have a set of beliefs or practices in and of themselves is not necessarily a cult. The issue is how we are using the set of beliefs and practices. Um, And that's the thing we need to understand. We can't say just across the surface, these things are cults and these things aren't. But we have to actually look at how are people engaging in these things. Are these relationships, healthy relationships that are supporting this person and getting their needs met, growing up, becoming a spiritual adult and living their soul's purpose? Or is this cult actually diminishing all of those things or undermining all of those things and or ultimately limiting those things? Right. So if you are engaged in a shamanic practice, as is discussed here on the show, so what I think of as shamanic practice is not necessarily what everybody thinks of as shamanic practice. Um, but if, you, if you're thinking about it in this way, I mean, if you're listening to the show, you likely are somewhere in the neighborhood, right, if not next door, right? Or if you're studying with other kind of like-minded teachers or shamanic healers, um, then I think the following qualities are being advocated. And this is basically my sense of why what I consider shamanic practice isn't a cult. And the main reason is uh, because of the, the qualities of the relationships that your shamanic practice cultivates with you with yourself, you with your body, you with the earth, you with the truth, you with your helping spirits and your own direct revelation, the quality of the, exp- of the relationship of you with your responsibility in life and ultimately your freedom in life. And, and finally, your maturity, your initiation into your true self and your true adult life. That, that as I understand shamanic practice and, uh, and as I endeavor to teach it in the cycle, it is about um, creating the quality of relationship with all of these things so that you are best able to move towards your unique soul's purpose. And where individuals need community support doing that, that community support is there. And where individuals need freedom to do things, they are free to take it and are not ridiculed or abandoned or um, banished for needing, needing to do the weird thing or the free thing or the whatever thing. Okay, so in, in what I would consider shamanic practice, that the direct a, a person's direct connection with the earth, which we I usually refer to as grounding, and one's own body, which I usually refer to as centering. So the focus of the shamanic practice is is the 
practices and cultivation um, of these qualities in contrast to practices like certain meditations or activities like going without sleep or fasting or diets like a constant very low protein diet that tend to send a person out of their body and cultivates a lack of groundedness. I mean another thing that cultivates a lack of groundedness is spending all day drinking coffee and eating sugar and all carbohydrates ultimately are sugar. So I don't necessarily think being a Starbucks addict makes you a cult. But the point is there are cults where the very daily activities of the cult, the food that people are eating, the practices that they're engaging in are not grounding them but are are actually designed to disconnect them from the earth and from their body. And that's completely different from shamanism because shamanism in its deep truth comes out of the earth and it's the humans about it's about the humans in their human bodies in relationship with earth and its earthly body and so a strong shamanic practice requires being both grounded and centered so that you have a place to leave from into your altered states and to return to with your message which you then interpret and then you act on in your life so it's very much an embodied grounded centered practice um, which is in direct contrast with much of the activities in what we would consider harmful cults. Number two, in a shamanic practice, as I understand it, your direct relationship with your truth cord, your personal direct relationship with your truth cord is m- fundamental. So as a teacher, I do not want you to listen to my sense of the truth. I want you to cultivate your sense of the truth first. And then once you have a sense of your personal truth, recognizing that it's just a personal truth, then the ability to learn from spirit how to see the larger truth and to look at how well those two truths are aligned. And if they aren't aligned, to make a choice based on what you want to create in life. And that my job as a teacher in shamanism is to get you to be able to have your own relationship with both of those kinds of truth, the bigger truth, and the personal truth and to be able to look at them and discern there's a whole lot of teaching involved in especially teaching a contemporary person how to do that that to me though is really part of the core of a true shamanic practice is teaching someone that kind of discernment um, through a working relationship with their helping spirits right so harmful cults are not going to do that Um, that they are about um offering a truth to people, a prepackaged truth. So it's finding something outside of yourself as your system of truth. It can be beliefs or it can be the person who's claiming divine guidance. It doesn't really matter what it is. Um, the issue is that that makes it harmful is that your own is the, your own desire to abdicate the responsibility to cultivate an inner relationship with your truth. And that's a very um, childish place. It's perfectly fine for a child to be there, but to bring that into your adult life and keep looking for someone who's going to just feed you this pre-processed truth and not take responsibility to cultivate your own relationship with the truth is enormously immature and childish. Although for people who are in a really vulnerable place, maybe it's the best they can do. And so that kind of vulnerability, though, is exactly what's played on in a harmful cult. 
But it's precisely the immaturity that is addressed head on as you come into a shamanic practice and begin working with your helping spirits because they won't cotton to that at all. So the point is shamanic practice can offer not only the help help understanding what do you need to do to cultivate your own relationship with your truth. But the shamanic practice can then help you to compare and contrast your own truth with a larger truth to help you actually tap into that larger truth and recognize, wow, you know, the uni- I've talked about this before, the time when you do the journey where your helping spirit becomes a conduit for the enormous universal love that is out there. It pours into you. You realize you are absolutely unequivocally accepted and loved in this universe and you realize and you're supposed to realize then okay my small personal truth that I feel unworthy and I feel unlovable is just a stupid story I tell myself I may have good reason from the past for why I tell that story but in the face of this enormous universal truth of the love that is here for me why would I limit myself by continuing to tell these little stories so for me that's what shamanic practice is about which makes it absolutely not harmfully cultish because in a harmful cult we want you would want the devotees to stay absolutely waiting for the truth to be delivered to them by somebody else and to never cultivate their own sense of relationship with their own truth okay moving on belaboring the point here a little bit moving right along The other thing at the heart of a shamanic community is direct revelation, which is anathema to many cults, right? Because normally the cult leader or the cult doctrine or the cult teachings are the spiritual revelation and that your job is just to follow them, right? And so there's no working relationship with spirit on your own. However, there are cults, particularly in America, where people are encouraged to make a direct connection with what they perceive of as God. And that is really tricky if the cult is not actually deeply concerned with the maturity of those people making that connection. So the important thing, again, is not the altered state experience because, like I said, there's lots of cults that use that. But again, in a way that gets manipulated and shaped versus working with the altered state experience in such a way that the person is required by their helping spirits to grow up <laughs> as spiritually and psychologically and to come to understand their place in the world um, as a sovereign being and to take responsibility for doing what they've come here to do. I mean, so that's a very sort of different purpose of engaging in some sort of altered state, connecting with spirit sort of relationship. Okay, so to work well, the messages from spirit uh, in a shamanic practice, the messages from spirit need to work with an operational truth cord. So you need to feel the resonance of truth in your body actually to work shamanically. It is not a head game. It's an embodied experience. So we're contrasting then this direct revelation through working with helping spirits in this shamanic context, um, which is an essential part of shamanic practice, to looking outside of yourself for guidance. Because most cults will provide pre-packaged the guidance, the interpretation, and the explanation of your reality. So in the direct revelation um, from spirit, 
from a shamanic perspective, the message and the experience of mis- of receiving the message are congruent. So it's not like you feel like crap, but your cult leader is telling you that you're getting closer and closer and closer to the divine, but you're feeling you know less and less like a whole person. So the important thing about a shamanic journey, I'm not saying they all feel good, but the experience of receiving the message is congruent with the message itself. And that's important aspect, I, I believe, of shamanic work. In other words, what's really going on here is revealed in your direct questions as your direct questions are answered. So in other words, I have learned more about how this invisible world, the real energies really work by doing journeys for other people because it forces me to ask questions and discover things I would never find on my own. And in doing that with many, 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 many different people, I begin to see the themes and the constancy that is there supporting all the individual stuff that's happening with the individual with the actual people in each session. So once again, in the shamanic work, the bigger story is getting revealed the more we work with the, with the small story. Um, and it's a, again a direct revelation not only of the personal answer but the bigger picture. So one should develop a, a greater confidence, a deeper understanding of what is going on here, less of a need to reach outside of themselves for somebody else to give them the truth and take responsibility for them, which is the attraction to cults. So the support, the other thing is in a shamanic community, there is support of the manifestation of each individual soul's purpose in contrast contrast to everyone serving the manifestation of an individual soul's purpose, which is particularly problematic in cults of charisma or personality. So in these particular cults, so life becomes about following someone else, not manifesting one's own uniqueness and authenticity. Um, Being one of the many who get picked by the whoever the cult leader is, one of many women picked by the cult leader versus considering your own life, your own love, the relationship that would support you in living your soul's purpose. Instead, the devotees get involved in raising up and essentially living the cult leader's soul's purpose. The other thing about shamanic uh, groups, which makes them not cultish, is the insistence from our helping spirits constantly, whether we like it or not, that we need to take responsibility for our actions and our manifestations. We need to take responsibility for setting our direction in life and for creating our own life. So our helping spirits come to us to help us in living our soul's purpose. It's why they're here, you know, whatever that soul's purpose is. And as, as such, they can be very strict taskmasters about taking responsibility for what we manifest in life, consciously and unconsciously. So an example I've shared before on the show and other context is sex. So in my life, I pretty much ignored anybody telling me who I could and couldn't have sex with, whether it was my parents, whether it was the religion, which at that point in time didn't matter so much, my culture. I pretty much figured who I want to have sex with is my business and nobody gets to tell me who I do and don't get to have sex with. Okay? That's just me, not necessarily, not advocating that necessarily for everybody, but that's me. So when my helping spirits told me that I had to stop having sex with whoever I wanted to have sex with, I was really irritated because I've never let anybody else tell me. 
But the point is, it wasn't just dogma, which pretty much is what everybody else was offering me. It was just dogma and opinion and attitude and whatever. That what the helping spirits were saying is, we are working with you. And they were happy to explain themselves. We are working with you to move your energy to a particular place. And every time you have sex with these people, it shifts your energy and we have to start all over again. So just knock it off for a while so we can get you to where we want to get you. And then you'll be attracted to a different kind of person which won't mess your energy up so much. Which, totally practical. And given that that was a totally practical reason to stop having sex with whoever I wanted to, I did. And so that's the distinction with the helping spirits is um, that there's this explanation for why the choices that you're making are not helping you live your soul's purpose, even though there's nothing wrong with the choices. Nothing wrong with having healthy adult, everybody consenting sex with people. That's fine. But it wasn't helping me get towards my soul's purpose. And I was clueless to that. And so this is what I mean. Your helping spirits can be really uh, strict taskmasters and helping you recognize things you don't realize are problems in your life are directly in the way of the process of you living your soul's purpose. All right. So our helping spirits are there for that. And so this is in contrast then to a a harmful cult kind of system that is encouraging you to surrender your identity and then to surrender your responsibility for how you use or don't use your power because the whole idea is to get you to surrender your goodies to the organization or the person. So the last few things that I think are part of a shamanic, a healthy shamanic community or shamanic practice that makes it not cultish is um, education and learning from spirit, learning, taking responsibility to learn from your choices in life, learn from your life experiences and um, grow from that. So education is an important piece. In many really harmful cults, you're not encouraged to grow. You're encouraged to accept a certain doctrine and live within it and just one sort of marketing would be and to go deeper and deeper and deeper into that but the truth is there's nothing there to find because you've already given up yourself you've already given up your responsibility you've already given up learning from your own life allowing other people to define the truth allowing other people to define your own life experience you know allowing others to do all of that so there's no no depth there to go to because you've already given it over in an unhealthy way Surrender is an important part of shamanism, but surrendering your false self is a different experience than surrendering what would otherwise become a healthy ego. That's a very different thing. And this is, this is the big advertising marketing piece in cults is using spiritual truths to suck people in and yet not actually living up to that. That happens actually in military advertising as well. Um, really um, using spiritual truths, um, presenting these ideas as if this is what you're going to get if you join this organization when actually ultimately you're getting something else and not that. Okay. So last two things that I, for me at least, are I believe a part of a shamanic community and not necessarily a cult is the cultivation of true freedom. Whether that is freedom from your own immature belief systems to freedom, full-blown freedom from your false self, 
I mean, I work with a helping spirit who says quite directly, I will kill you a thousand times if that is what it takes for you to surrender your false self and live authentically. I mean, I work with helping spirits that are serious about this, about the cultivation of true freedom to be the man or woman you have come here to be and to do what you've come here to do and screw everything else. And really, and to do that in a way that is benefiting all life. And in this case, because I do actually have a shamanic community around these teachings and benefits the community, supports the community. Okay, so in other words, the surrender of the false self is not to be confused with the surrender, as I was saying, of your identity authenticity. So, for example, cutting off all ties with family in your old life. This is one of the first things a sociopath does once you start dating them, right? So why would you join a group that asked you to do that? I mean, you're smart enough, I would think, not to date someone who gets you to do that. So why would you join a group that wants you to do that? Now, on the other hand, you may need to choose to step away from a particular group to cultivate your freedom. You know, so sometimes you do need to step away from your friends and family because they're living in a way, either because they're addicts or they're some sort of psychological thing going on that you need to step away from to heal, to get sober or to get on with your life. So stepping away in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. But when you move into a relationship with an individual or a group and they immediately they disconnect you from everybody who loves you and supports you. Everybody who would help you remember who you truly are and what you're really here for, that is a big monster red flag, right? And so finally, the other difference between shamanic life, shamanic practice, and harmful cults is initiation. I mean, many cults have initiatory experiences, and this is what I was just talking about, where they promise you an initiation and they have complex rituals and this and that and the other thing. But these initiations are not functionally as a ritual and initiation. What they are is functionally getting you to officially give up your power, give up yourself. That's what, the, that's what these rituals are designed to do, but they're called initiations. Whereas in shamanism, because the initiation is coming through the helping spirits um, who are already reliable, compassionate helping spirits, that you're really being initiated into life, not into a particular small group. In other words, you're getting bigger, not smaller. So this is another place of confusion where the spiritual truth is really being manipulated. In shamanic initiation into adulthood, the individual is free to emerge in whatever way is authentic, as long as it's mature, as a mature spiritual adult who will be basically a citizen of the world in an authentic way. This is a stark contrast to an initiation into a life within a group in which everyone is made now an official child to the big family, right? Because the doctrine, the dogma, the person is the parent is the authority figure and so you're initiated into this permanent position as a child in the big family of the cult um, and people are often initiated into roles or very defined way of being and they may be very gender specific and now for some people they think oh great my life has just been defined for me but what does your soul think about that definition 
So then the other thing is the more levels of initiation a person goes through, often the more they lose contact with the outside world or their contact is restricted. And so losing layers of freedom is another great big red flag. So what's the difference between shamanic community and a cult? Well, I think we pretty much covered that. Um, so the other thing that we need to remember, though, <laughs> is, please, is that an indigenous way of life is as valid a way of life as any way of life in any country today. So the original shamanic communities, as we would say today, are not really shamanic communities. They are cultures and they are valid. They are not cults. They are cultures as valid in their own time as our culture is in our time. And so to refer to any indigenous way of life as a cult is deeply offensive and it's like a contemporary person arrogance but if we look at contemporary shamanic communities then the answer is pretty much the same as what I've just gone through it's all about does that shamanic community cultivate the quality of relationships with yourself with your body with the spirit world that support you in living your soul's purpose to contributing to the greater good blah 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 all those things so the listener asks then, what pitfalls must we pay attention to when living a shamanic way of life in regards to cults? So the first thing you need to look at with any shamanic group that you're part of is, is your sovereignty being supported or undermined? This plays out in two levels in life, particularly in sh- when we bring the shamanic peace in. So is your direct sovereignty being supported as an individual is the first level. In other words, your groundedness, your centeredness, your responsibility to choose for yourself, to understand you're creating your own life. And if you don't like the life you're creating, to make new choices and create something different. That's sovereignty, right? The other uh, level of sovereignty in a shamanic culture is our uh, community is are you being supported with what you need to let go of, what you need to destroy, what you need to surrender to, to become the person you truly are. So in other words, it's this balance between supporting people to grow up enough to then surrender what is false. So we go from sovereignty to what I would call true sovereignty, meaning I'm now standing in my sovereign space for my true self. And so that's the the path within a shamanic community. And then the other question would be in uh, as a pitfall in a shamanic way of life is, is your relationship with spirit being cultivated or undermined? I always find it interesting when people spend years in a shamanic practice where they are not cultivating their own direct relationship with spirit through journeying, through embodiment, through some form of shamanic trance state. You know what is going on in that shamanic community if you're not being moved to develop that relationship yourself. Okay, so the question from the listener is: Would a cult be defined as blind acceptor, blind acceptance of a leader's charismatic ways? So that isn't a definition, but it's a red flag. It's a, it's a pitfall. It's actually another good one to look at. Blind acceptance of a leader's charismatic ways only tracks then in this cult of charisma issue, but it could be blind acceptance of a dogma. And you just have to remember, any leader worth following is open to challenge and debate, and any dogma worth following can handle your questions and your persistent questioning. 
I mean, it's one thing I always appreciated about Michael Harner and the teachers at the Foundation for Shamanic Studies is they always sent us as students back to our own helping spirits to get answers to our questions and, you know, to just keep developing our own relationship with spirit and not following a dogma or following a leader. The important thing I want to say here, though, as we come around to the end of this show, is that cults wouldn't exist if people didn't want to surrender the burden of having an identity, of having a unique soul's purpose, if they didn't want to surrender the responsibility of an adult life. And they wouldn't exist if they didn't really, really want someone else to tell them what's true. Now, granted, people can be in vulnerable places because of past history. People get manipulated, especially those people who have these unresolved attachment needs. But remaining someone who is vulnerable to a manipulation in your adult life is a choice. And you can make a different choice. So, for example, part of a ritual dance we do in the third year in the cycle teachings involves being told what to do, kind of like um, marching band, you know, marching and up and down and around, kind of like follow the leader. And you're being told what to do and demanded to do that, and you don't know why, you don't know what's going on. And the whole point of it is for people to understand either how they react to that in anger for being told what to do, but how many people realize that ultimately it's really nice to be told what to do. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about why. You don't have to take any responsibility for what you're doing. You don't have to have any discernment. It's really easy to let other people do all the hard work. And that's the place we really need to pay attention to when it comes to these issues around cults. So then the question is from some people, well, aren't you just doing what spirit is telling you to do in shamanism? And that, that question can only be asked by someone who doesn't actually really understand journeying. Because we're not journeying for an ultimate truth. Every truth we receive is being filtered through our capacity to receive it. It's then being interpreted. And so there, there are layers of understanding. You could journey with the same question you know, once a year for your entire life. And assuming that you're growing, you would get a different answer every year because you would be able to perceive at a higher level of truth. And so... So no, we're not just being told what to do by spirit, that there's a co-created relationship that's going on in true shamanic practice. Um, so even that sense of it's not cultish. And then the listener's last question was really beautiful, I think, and it's important, is, is, is a cult a form of um, sorcery? And I would say absolutely. And her final question was, how do bold speakers of shamanism address possible accusations of being cultish? I personally laugh, (laughs) one, because that's a good response to things like this, but primarily because the level of independence and responsibility required to participate in my student community alone, just those two issues make it clear that it is not a cult. So it just makes me laugh that people would even perceive what I'm doing is a cult, a harmful cult. Right, um, But to respond to the question, we have to then circle back to what does the accuser mean by cult? You know, cult has no clear definition. If they simply mean not Christian enough for them, okay, fine. Um, or does it just mean being odd or familiar or doing something the person doesn't understand? So since they don't understand it, now it's a cult? I mean, this is the problem with the word. And so I wouldn't worry too much about the accusation. So the important thing that we need to understand if we look through a shamanic lens at harmful cults 
is what is happening day by day in harmful cults is intentional courting by people in power to draw energy from those of lesser power. That there is intentional energy or power theft going on in harmful cults. I mean, these are the kinds of things that we shamanically have to repair as people emerge from cults. Um, so courting, energy and power theft, soul theft, certainly, and ultimately additional soul loss from being involved now, heartfelt and innocent connection to a community which has now abused its power and your power. Okay, so we've run out of time. That's all I have to say about cults. I hope that helps. Um, so I give thanks to the ancestors and the helping spirits. Give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. We've got just a couple more places in the actual energy clearing class here in Portland. It's on the website at lastmaskcenter.org. You can register there. I think we have maybe three or four places available. Yes, this is the clearing that I talk about all the time on the radio show. And no, there isn't any other way to learn it. It's not online. It's not offered in a show. It's an experiential learning thing. (laughs) Okay. So everyone have a wonderful week.